what is actually real? Like, what is true? <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't know if we trust the media. We don't know if we trust the government. We don't know if we trust our pastors anymore. Like, there's a real crisis of trust. And so people are, are looking for answers. We're looking for, like, solid ground um, upon which we can build um, wisdom. And I'm on the roll. It's watering time, everybody! It's time for Apollos Watered! A podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And it's time for another one of our... Deep Conversations. A deep conversation with editor and author Brett McCracken. In fact, this is the second part of our conversation. How are our devices and online habits forming us? as humans, and simply as followers of Jesus Christ. If we are to water our worlds, we have to learn how our worlds are shaping us to think and live. In some instances, we have to push back on the world in order to find our footing as disciples of Christ. That's why I find Brett and his work so fascinating. It's a critical and hopeful look into our hearts and the intrinsic need God has placed within us for connection and beauty. Those desires drive us. That's why we go on our phones to scroll. That's why we want to watch a show or see something beautiful to, in front of us. We, we, we seek beauty. We seek it in a variety of different places, but we're also looking for connection. And it's intrinsic, as I said before, and it's actually shaping us. The material that we bring in, the things that we take in are shaping us day in and day out. They're shaping how we look at God. They're shaping how we go about and live in our worlds. And they're shaping how we view the people around us. Therefore, it's imperative as followers of Jesus Christ who seek to know our worlds and to make a difference for Jesus, that we need to identify the factors that are influencing us and shaping what our worlds look like. That's why we need to take a critical look at our worlds and to step back for a moment to see, are they really shaping us? I mean, they are. But if it's shaping us in such a way to take us away from Christ, then we need to adopt practices that act as a counter agent to that practice. That is shaping us in such a negative way. So we want to adopt a good practice that counteracts the negative practice or habit that's there. And that's what Brett and I are going to be talking about in this conversation. We're taking a deep dive into our technology and how it's shaping us for Christ. So I would, I would recommend you go back and listen to our previous conversation because it's full of insight, not into technology, but also our need for beauty. And he elaborates more on that in the first conversation. This conversation is more about our, our digital habits and how they are affecting us because they are. What are some of the practices that we can put into place that counteract that? And Brett provides us with some. So I would encourage you to listen in as we discuss our technological habits and how they are affecting us. Happy listening. You mentioned the, how the internet has created, and I want to make sure I get your term. So you said a culture of disposability. Mm -hmm. um, 
In the book, you mention a thing called perpetual presentism. Is that correct? Do I have that terminology right? Yeah, I, yeah, I forget exactly, but yeah, presentism and perceptual yeah. presentism. Yeah. Describe what that is, because I think people in talking about a wisdom diet and those who are using their phones all the time, there, there is this idea of being caught up. This is this idea that I can't, that I have to know what's going on in the moment. And, yeah. and then after you talk about that, I do want to go back to what you said earlier about rest and Sabbath. Mm-hmm. changing that rhythm but let's talk about the perpetual presentism yeah <clears throat> yeah i mean i think the our, our primary mode of interacting with the world is through the now right what's on our feed right now and it's we live in this mode of scrolling through constantly and so it's just everything is about the now what article am I clicking on now? What video am I clicking on? What's the news headline? What's trending? What's buzzworthy? And we never remember, right? We, I don't remember what was the, the like viral thing yesterday, let alone last week or, or a year ago. Um, so we struggle to remember. The more we live in this perceptual presentism, um, meaning everything that comes into our perception is, is the now, um, the, the, the more our capacity for deep memory is eroded. Um, so the more we, and you see this right in our culture, like sometimes I scratch my head at the debates that are happening in our society, because I'm like, we had this debate 50 years ago, or like a hundred years ago, like that oh, there's so many resources in the past that we can draw from that we're just ignorant of because we're ignorant of history. And I think wisdom requires us to have a bigger picture where we we build on the foundations that have come before us and we draw from the resources of the past and we recognize that what's happening now is is not the be-all end-all we need to have a bigger view we need to think about the past and the future um, and not just the the now and yet that's the 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 dominant like paradigm of of the the smartphone age it's designed to be a disposable experience because it's more money for the social media companies for youtube to get us kind of addicted to this ephemeral cycle right where we're once we're done watching one thing on netflix before the credits even roll there's a suggestion for what to watch next they want to keep you moving on they don't want you to linger on things they don't want you to like turn off a, sh- a show and sit there and think about it, <laughs> even though that would be what would, that would be good for your wisdom is if af- after we watched something or read an article on the Internet, if we actually turned everything off and just stared at a blank wall and pondered what we just read or watched. But we don't do that, right? We move on to the next thing. We click on the next link we keep scrolling through our feeds and that's killing us. That is, that is killing our wisdom. If I could point to one thing that is destroying wisdom, it's the fact that we are filling every spare moment in our lives with more content, more content, more content to the point that there's literally no space left in our lives to actually think about things and to ponder and to synthesize what we've encountered Um, So I think I say in the book at one point, like staring at a blank wall is like the most productive thing you can do. 
um, in the digital age because it, it's actually giving your soul some space to make connections and to process in the same way that you know physical eating right if you're if you're eating constantly all day every day you never give your body any time to digest and to kind of synthesize the nutrients you're going to get sick you're not going to be physically healthy and the same is true of our spiritual health if we're binging on content 24 7 and we never let our mind breathe and rest and process it's it's not going to be good even the most nutritious content we might be we might be reading you know really intelligent articles and watching documentaries and award-winning films but it's still not going to be good for you if you never pause enough to to let it like um percolate and kind of synthesize a little bit there there was a sermon illustration i remember discovering online years ago i i wish i could remember the source but it was of a christian who talked about how he memorized verses as he was walking as he was getting dressed in the morning he was reciting greek words and mm -hmm. he, he was doing all this stuff and again this is probably 100 200 years ago and um someone just responded to him they said brother when do you think yeah and i i think that more people are are calling for that because i look scripturally and i see there is a discipline of remembrance Mm -hmm. You know, as we go through the Old Testament, because the Israelites forgot that all the time, yeah. and it, they would always forget about what God had done. And I yeah. think you, you're right. We all we are in this perceptual mm -hmm. presentism, and then we forget who God is. Are, have you, uh, after having read your book, it makes me? Uh, I picked up another book right after yours called mm -hmm. Restless Devices. Mm -hmm. Have you have you read that, Felicia Wu Song? Uh, it's mm -hmm. IVP 2021. I have, but I like great, the sound of it. It's oh, it's it's fantastic. And in the book, she cites James K.A. Smith as creating uh -huh. a counter liturgy. Mm -hmm. And it seems that's what you're talking about. Liturgy means the work of the people. And we have yeah. this way of doing things. But what you're when you're talking about rest, that that to me is a pushback against mm -hmm. the culture and what it demands. Yeah. And it's that counter liturgy saying, No, I'm going yeah. to take this time to discipline myself. She talks about real practical ways. And I think she's citing um, Andy Crouch in the mm -hmm. middle of all this, you know, put your device, your device is like a child, put it to bed before you, you know, you go to bed and it, yeah. and you get, you get up before your child does let your table be a place of sacred conversation and your bedroom to be a place of sacred rest. And that's why after reading your book and seeing that one right there, it was handed balling glove, you know, just, <laughs> such a perfect way of looking at that. But what do you say to those who, who don't see this as a problem? There are, and, and that's usually more with younger people, those who are, yeah. as you said, um, digital natives, mm -hmm. where this is simply part and parcel of their world. How do you hope to use, or how do you hope God uses this book to help them to be, mm -hmm. I don't know if weaned off is the wrong term, uh, weaned, off, weaned off is the right term, or that it would have its proper place. And that's, by the way, that's one of the things I love about this. It's not mm -hmm. a legalistic approach. It's yes. saying, no, it's okay, yeah. provided it has its right place. For sure. But how do you help these digital natives see that this is such yeah. a pressing issue? Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm glad that you, you pointed that out. Like the, 
the internet and this and social media are on the wisdom pyramid, right? I could have left mm. it off completely <laughs> and suggested that we all become to, Amish. Yeah, Amish. In order to be wise, you all have to become Amish, <laughs> throw away your technology. Vimish but, dear. <laughs> yeah. I am not advocating that. I'm not a Amish. I'm not a Mennonite, not a Luddite. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that it is about being in the proper place. It's about, um, the proper proportions of things. And, and one of the key things I think with any um, habit that might be idolatrous is, can you live without it? Like, are you physically capable of, of reducing the amount of time that you spend with it? So that would be one like initial question I would raise with the, the Gen Z, like digital native who, who like pushes back and says like, you know, this isn't a problem. Like you're, you're overreacting. I would just ask them, okay, well, can you go a day without your phone? Can you go an hour without your phone? Like, can you put it in another room and just sit still with your own thoughts for an hour? (laughs) And you'd be surprised how hard that is, right. Mm -hmm. To, to even do that. And that's like the definition of an addiction, right? It's Mm -hmm. the same thing with alcohol. Like if you can't, go a day without a drink, you are addicted. You are an alcoholic. Like there, and, and, but the, the thing with alcohol is like, if you can learn to do it in moderation, if you can have a drink every now and then, and it doesn't lead to this, you know, unhealthy addictive behavior, then it can be a wonderful thing. And I would argue the same is true of your phone and technology. It can be a great thing if we're able to put it away at times and live without it and create space um, in our lives to just be unmediated from time to time. And it's that um, inability to be unmediated for even five minutes that I, that I, I really worry about. Like if anything keeps me up at night, (laughs) it's that inability, like, if you look around at a coffee shop when you're like in line at Starbucks, everyone is on their phone, yeah. right? In in the three minutes of open space that people have to wait for their coffee, people literally cannot not look at their phone. No one anymore just stands there in thought looking around, you know, let alone engaging in conversation with another human. Everyone pulls out their phone and starts scrolling. Like when you're in the car, like just start paying attention to your habits when you're driving in the car and you're at a stoplight. What do you do instinctively these days? If you're at a stoplight, you do something on your phone for like literally the 30 seconds that you have at a stoplight. And that's scary, right? That we are so conditioned to fill every gap in our lives with some sort of experience on our device that we can't wean ourselves off of that. So I would just start there with young people. Like, can you go without your device for a little bit of time? Um, I'm not saying throw it away. I'm not saying it's, you know, something that you should try to live without completely, but can you live without it for any amount of time? If you can't, that is the definition of an addictive, you know, idol in your life. And so that right there is the problem that we're dealing with. I I think a lot of young people actually do see that. Um, Mm -hmm. I I see that with my own children. Um, and sometimes I'm not, I, I'm not sure if it's the children that have more of a problem or the adults, Mm -hmm. 
because adults have that issue. And oh, for sure. Yeah. It's been it's been our issue, and that's why I think you're seeing many more people talk about it. And then social media with um, documentaries such as the the social dilemma. Yeah. Um, which to me is very ironic that it's actually on Netflix. It just right. the whole you know, right. which is still playing with the same type of algorithms. Yes. Yeah. But I think what what shocks me are so many of these tech founding fathers that have come out and, and have noted the addictive nature of yeah. this. And yeah. yet it doesn't, it doesn't stop. Even yeah. the ones who, who see it, they're like, well, there's not anything we can do. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's so important. What a book like yours, because churches need to be able to talk about these things with their people mm -hmm. because we're not to be ruled by anything. Yeah. We're, and I, and I think we are, and that's why I think so many people need to put into place some of these, mm -hmm. I mean, first to convince them that it is a wisdom idea. And that's what I love about how you put it in there it, because wisdom is something that we know there's knowledge. Yeah. There's so much knowledge. We can Google anything, but wisdom mm -hmm. is what we're looking for among mm -hmm. the, the different generations. Yeah. So what kind of pushback though, have you received from your book? What have been the criticisms? Um, you know, there, there haven't been like any consistent criticisms. There's been like quibbles with different chapters and, you know, sometimes people have issues with the ordering of, um, you know, putting books above beauty or nature above whatever. Um, <clears throat> trying to think if there's been any like major, I mean, one, one interesting criticism that I actually respect and agree with is the book is all about intakes in terms of what forms us to be wise. But um, what about like outputs? Like what about our work and vocation and what we create with our hands? And, and I, to that, I say, yes, absolutely. Like wisdom is, is more than just having a good diet of intakes. It's, it also involves how you live and the actions you take and the practices you do in life um, in, in a more output sort of way. It, it's just that this book, the scope of it was focused on with the food pyramid yeah. idea. It was more about what feeds you. Um, if Yeah. But I suppose there could be a, a sequel or some other book about like practices in terms of what you do beyond just reading the right things or like watching the right things. Um, but yeah. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors and we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner together. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today, because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. Do you find with the book, 
you put these parameters in place. I mean, you talk about some of the practices that you've done or practices you recommend. And I, I found myself feeling convicted going, okay, can I do that? Can I do that? And then the next day I'm doing the opposite of what you said, you know, where you talk about picking up your phone intent for intentional reasons. Yeah. Not just to scroll. And I, and, and I'm like, but I need to know the score of the game. That's an intentional thing. There you go. Yeah. Um, but where, where you say here, five, five habits, I'm going to read this. Oh, I just mm-hmm. have a page, but five habits for cultivating wisdom online. One, you said, go with a purpose. Don't just surf. Two, quality over quantity. Three, mm-hmm. slow down. Four, diversify your exposure. And five, share what's good. And you said, don't abandon, mm-hmm. redeem redeem. Yeah. So, so uh, elaborate on these. Cause I think people are saying, okay, I got all this stuff. I know that we need to be more discerning, but some people just need a, a, a guide, a practice. And if you will, what are the steps of this performative counter liturgy mm. that I am trying to enact in my life? Okay. So let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, five habits for cultivating wisdom online. Go with a purpose. Don't just serve. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to what we were just talking about with the um, the social algorithm and the, the the way that like the social media companies are really counting on us being passive consumers. Like they want to be the guides of our media experience. They are more than happy to recommend watch this next or click on this next um, because that they know that that will keep us hooked and keep us on the platform. So when we're passive in our time on the internet, it's just a bad thing because you're totally at the mercy of the algorithm. You're literally just letting yourself be led down whatever path of content they they want you to go down. And this is the mode, the passive mode is where we end up, you know, we go online for one thing and we end up staying online for two hours and we by the end of it, we're like, how did I get here? Like, how did I wind up on this website? Like, I don't know. Like we've why all am, had those moments of why, like, why am I watching squirrels skiing? Why am I watching squirrels skiing? Oh man. YouTube, I mean, YouTube is the rabbit hole for sure. It, it is. But I, I remember walking into my living room and my brother-in-law and my son, and that's what they're watching on YouTube. And I went, how yeah. in the world did yeah. you get to this place? Yeah. And I don't want to knock squirrel skiing videos because <laughs> there is a place for leisure and beauty in your wisdom pyramid. <laughs> I don't so. know if those are leisure or mm-hmm. wisdom. So I don't want to fully knock those. But yeah, I mean, the passive versus intentional thing is probably like the biggest piece of advice I would give in terms of wisdom online. It's just like go with a plan go, you know, if there's, if you're going to use the internet, like have one or two or three specific things you want to do. Like I need to buy this on Amazon. I need to go read, you know, that article on the New York times that I've been meaning to read. I need to go, you know, whatever, um, write an email, but then like go off. Like the minute you're done with those things, like don't just kind of linger and like passively click on whatever is being fed to you by your feed just go off and (laughs) go for a walk or you know read a book a physical book um so that's that one um the second one what was the second 
pieces second of one, ice. Second one was quality over quantity. Yeah, quality over quantity. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty straightforward one. Just in in a world of of uh, you know limitless quantity of things you could fill your soul with, just focus on the best. Like try to you know be okay with missing out. That's that's one thing I say a few times in the book. Yeah, is like you know, we live in this FOMO world of fear of missing out. Like it's okay to miss out and it's actually better for your soul and for your wisdom to miss out on the lion's share of what's going on on Twitter on any given day. Like I love going on a vacation and unplugging from social media and like gleefully missing out and being totally ignorant of everything that happened on Twitter, whatever, while I was gone. And the thing is like, the the crises that seem so important on social media in the moment, the next week, everyone forgets about it anyway. So you can go to Florida on vacation like I did last week and be ignorant of all these things that were so important, quote, quote unquote, important to the people who were debating them. But by the time you get back, it's all over and everyone's moved on. So that's why like the, the like quality is important. Like focus on like, what are the articles or videos that like two months later, people are still sharing, like, don't read 10 hot takes in your media, your daily media diet, like read like one really high quality cold take that was written two months after a headline, a news event. Um, So, and listen to the advice of like trusted people. Um, That's another way you can kind of uh, filter through in terms of the quality versus quantity. Um, there's a few people on my social media feeds who I will almost always like pay attention to what they share. Um, so find those people, find like the consistently um, quality recommendation people uh, and let they let them kind of guide you through the, the glut, um, so to speak. Third, slow down. Yeah, I mean, this is just a principle of wisdom in every part of life, right? Like, we go too fast for our own good um, in how we think and how we talk. Um, So many of us have gotten into trouble with, like, social media being being quick to speak instead of being slow to speak. And so slowing down is is good for your, your wisdom. And so in the way that you're processing information, processing the news, just slow down, like read the cold takes and not just the hot takes. For diversify your exposure. Yeah. I mean this, this one, like the research is actually kind of mixed on this. Like you don't want to, you don't want to over diversify your social media feed to the point where you're only listening to counter, you know, voices on the other side of you. That research is showing that that actually um, makes you more partisan um, to be kind of constantly confronted with the other side's most extreme voices. But I do think in moderation, um, having kind of a diversity of voices that are feeding you ideas and perspectives, and this goes beyond social media and the internet. It's also a good principle for like books, the books that you read you know, don't just read books written by people just like you. Um, In my case, like I shouldn't only read books written by white Protestant 
American men. Like, um, I, I, I'm very intentional about trying to read books by women and, you know, non-Christians and people from other parts of the world. Um, and I think that's really good for our wisdom to be, um, yeah, just to be giving our ears and our attention to perspectives that are different from us and that bring kind of a, a different ideas to the table. And it's not to say that we have to agree with all of it. You don't have to like, you know, give your attention to someone, to someone's counterpoint or differing view and, and nod along with all of it. That would be bad. Um, but um, just the practice of it being exposed to and, and being confronted with and having to think through other arguments and other perspectives, I think is only a good thing for your wisdom. Mm. I, I like that. I remember someone telling me years ago, they said, try to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. And then yeah. if you can't find that, then find someone you disagree with. And I, I, you're saying, no, it's not one or the other. It's both. If you can yeah. find those other people to diversify your opinion, which is what the algorithm doesn't do. It just yeah. keeps giving you the same diet of the same stuff, reinforcing the same things. And and find the the person on the other side who is actually like a good faith you know, conversation partner, not just the most um, firebrand kind of extreme right. voice, but the thoughtful person on the other side. That you can actually have a dialogue with. And then you said five, share what's good. Elaborate on that. I mean, this is a personal favorite because it's what I like to do as a cultural critic, as a film critic, you know, music curator, creating Spotify playlists. This is what I do for my job at the Gospel Coalition. It's just, it's the, um, the, the best thing about social media I find is this. It's, it's a great marketplace of people sharing sometimes really good things. And I, all of us have become aware of something that we weren't aware of before because of technology and because of social media where people can share things. And the, the practice of sharing good things is, is part of the, our enjoyment of it. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. I think it's in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, where he says something to the effect of like, um, the completion of our enjoyment of something is actually the sharing of it. Um, we, we haven't fully um, enjoyed the beauty of our children, for example, until we can share them, whether a photo of them or sharing them with grandparents or other people. I found that to be true as a parent. Like, um, and, and the same is true of like a good article, a good book, a good movie. Like, uh, part of our enjoyment is actually being able to publicly endorse and share it. So, if we if we all used the internet like less to mouth off in anger about whatever political <laughs> issue or to just share our angry opinions and actually just to share share something good that we recommend um, that would edify other people imagine what a better place social media would be if all of us had that that posture of just wanting to share what's good mm, i love that and i and i really do love the book and i recommend it have you been have you been surprised at how well the book is done yeah, I mean, I've been pleasantly surprised. It's, um, I think it's well-timed. Um, I think that is something that's really working for the book. Um, 
I wrote it. I wrote the book in 2019. So before the pandemic, before COVID, before so much happened. Um, and, and yet I think everything that has happened since 2020 has just underscored why it's so important to be careful about our media diets and the intakes that are coming into us. And, you know, the pandemic, we could have a whole another podcast conversation talking about the COVID stuff, but um, among other things, I think what the pandemic has done is really um, further destabilized our concept of truth and who do we trust and what is actually real? Like what is true? <laughs> we, we don't, we don't know if we trust the media. We don't know if we trust the government. We don't know if we trust our pastors anymore. Like there's a real crisis of trust. And so people are, are looking for answers. We're looking for like solid ground um, upon which we can build um, wisdom. And that's what this book is really attempting to provide is just a framework for people in this post-truth world in this whirlwind of information that's chaotic and we don't know what to trust. Um, the wisdom pyramid is just one kind of rubric, one guide to help people make sense of it and to have sanity really like to have mental sanity and spiritual health uh, in the midst of a fairly sickly, you know, we're not just sick with COVID, right? We're, we're increasingly sick spiritually because of this truth crisis that we're in. So that's what the book is addressing. So I think that's why it's doing well. It's just, it's hitting people where they're at right now. Well, I want to say how much I enjoy the book and I'm thankful for Crossway for, for sending it our way, our friends at Crossway. I do want to recommend it to other people. And how can people find out about what you're doing and uh, online or not online? How do, how do people follow and learn more about your ministry? I'm always hesitant to answer that question after after writing a book on wisdom pyramid after talking about like the the merits of non-online so write him at p.o box i do accept letters (laughs) yeah um i have a good friend who like writes me type typewritten letters uh, just to be kind of countercultural. you know (laughs) instead of texting me he sends me letters (laughs) <laughs> how many a day <laughs> uh, he and i are like inklings like in another life okay. we would be like lewis and tolkien you know at the eagle and child um but yeah people can find me on um, the gospel coalition website that's where i do the majority of my my writing um that's my full-time job so they can find most of my articles there and then i'm on social media you know whatever platforms you are on you can find me um but yeah. Other than that, I've written four books. You can learn about each of them on brettmccracken.com or Amazon. You can look me up on Amazon. Well, awesome. Brett, I want to thank you for coming on Apollos Watered. You were delighted to have. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was fun. At Apollos Watered, we want to open your mind to the best voices who can help us know how to water our worlds well. We live in a fast-paced, diverse, technologically saturated, and quickly changing world. But the message of Jesus hasn't changed. It's how we live it out and express it. That that might vary slightly it, it, because we're always lived to be, we're always called to, to be salt and light where we are. 
What we don't realize, though, is that some of these practices are pushing in and that they're they're causing us to be distracted so that we can't be about the task that God has for us. If the devil can keep us so busy and so so focused on ourselves and focused on so many other things, then it crowds out the mission of God. If we can take a moment to pause and that we can see how God has made us and how these things are affecting that, because we do feel like our souls, our souls are starving. The gospel has something that it always affirms in a culture that enables us to build bridges and share Christ. However, it also has something that it challenges. The gospel always challenges the idols of that culture to declare it guilty of sin and in need of a savior or the people within that culture. We want to help identify both. We're committed to help you water your world wherever your world is. And only you know your world. Some of us are in high Christendom worlds. And what I mean by that is you're in a world where there are a lot of different churches and people understand that. And they understand basics. They understand even abbreviations like VBS or they understand Sunday school and things like that. But there are other people that are living in post-Christian worlds or what I like to call low low Christendom worlds. Maybe even high secularized worlds where the vocabulary isn't connecting any longer and the people that you're interacting with don't know what those terms even begin to mean. Their worldview is so different. Depending upon what culture a person is in depends upon the approach that you take. Paul didn't take the same approach in every culture that he went into. Most of the time when he went into a culture that had a Jewish population, he would start in the synagogue. But when he finds himself in Athens, he's not interacting in that way. He's talking in the marketplace. So the approach that we take might differ slightly. One of the things that we talked about some time ago is the reason that there are four Gospels. There are four different voices, different perspectives. It's just there to show us that God wants or calls us to take slightly different approaches where we are. We have been conditioned to think that there is just one approach. Maybe it's the four spiritual laws. That's what we have to do wherever we go. And and honestly, we're not very good at remembering things and we don't like being confused because we don't know very much. We don't we're not very confident in how we share and what needs to be included in all that. And that's something that I want to address in a future episode. But for today, I want us to understand that we are committed as an organization to help you water your world. But part of what our job is, is to help you diagnose your world and how it's influencing you so that you might be able to adopt practices, speech, the proper tools necessary in order to water your world where you are. Because only you know your world. I don't know your world. You know your world. You know that what you're facing day in and day out. You could be a, a Caucasian woman that is in, in the suburbs and a stay-at-home mom all day. That's a, that's a world. Or you could be in the inner city and working in a factory and might be an immigrant or a refugee. Or maybe you're living in the middle of rural India right now and you're working around Hindus and they're your family and friends, but yet you want them to know Jesus. That is its own world. Maybe you're coming from a Muslim background or a Sikh background or a Buddhist background or an atheist background or a high scientific background. We all have all of these different backgrounds that we come from. And that world that we inhabit because of that background changes what we see, what we know and what we do. But here's the encouraging thing. 
The message of Jesus transcends all of it. The word of God speaks to all of it. It's just diagnosing what approach, what's the best way we can approach it for the name of Jesus and his glory. That's what we are about. And we are committed to help you grow. But we can't do this mission without you. We can't do it without your help. We are looking for watering partners to help fulfill God's calling for this ministry. We have been delighted to see all of those who have partnered with us and enabled us to get where we are, but we're only at 25% of stage one. And we need your help to reach the remainder. God is using this to change the conversation on discipleship and mission, to challenge the status quo in a culture, and to help people fulfill their true mission. Go online to apolloswater.org, and there's a support us button in the upper right-hand corner. Click that, and you will find many suggested amounts. Pick the one that is right for you, or simply write in the amount and surprise us. We'd love to have more people grow from connecting with Apollos Watered. If you've been impacted while listening to a podcast, then please do us a favor, screenshot that episode, text it to a friend, share it online on your stories, or simply share it directly from your podcast platform. Subscribing and leaving a review also puts it out there for more people. The more you rate it, the more difference it makes. Don't forget, we have content on Instagram, Facebook, and our website that is shareable, and we hope to have much more in the very near future. Together, we want to leave a trickle of truth and encouragement around the world and watch people grow. Check us out next week as I talk to Nick Ripkin. He is back talking about the insanity of obedience. And I don't know about you, but Nick always gets me fired up and how God calls us to live a radically obedient life. And once again, I want to give thanks to our Apollos Watered team of Kevin, Melissa, Donovan, Eliana, Rebecca, and Audrey. Water your faith, water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Watered. Stay watered, everybody. Thank you.